You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out. And kick all trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick all trouble out the door Kick him 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 out the door Well, well This is Radical Australia and Kelly Whitworth, the world's greatest producer, as far as I'm concerned, is pressing all these buttons. Kelly, would you take your mask off if you want to speak? I'm sorry. I was just rushing into the studio because Susie and Kate were just finishing up their program. They're, they're They're such talented people. They are such talented people. And how's the sound coming through your um, headphone yeah, volume, good. Margaret? Yeah, Is that great. okay? Yeah, yeah. Not too good. loud or yeah, soft? She, yeah. Yeah, she, this, it's okay? We're going yes. live. We're going live. We this are is, live. And this yeah. is how unprofessional <laughs> she is. She's asking you how your microphone is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, this is very unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. This is we are, Look, uh, Kelly found Margaret Ryan wandering the streets, mm-hmm. had nothing to do this afternoon, and uh, dragged her into the studio. And that's how we get our guests. And we're very happy about it. Well, that's right. Now, Margaret, I'm going to ask you an embarrassing question. You've got notes there. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. You're not demented, are you? No. Well, why do you need notes? You should know all about yourself. Uh, yeah, that's right. But I would like to put in a little plug for. Uh, 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 I can't do that. We do plugs at the end. <laughs> do plugs at the end. This is a structured we'll put interview. Wait till the end. That's right. What actually <laughs> happens is that mm-hmm. it all comes out in the wash at, the end, right. at the end of the and interview. The, and the listeners can be held in suspense. Exactly. <laughs> if you put in the plug, they'll, they will think this is one of these boring ABC programs where <laughs> people come up to. You know, do advertis- advertising for their show or their book. That's this right. is not that type of a program. No. Now, Margaret, no. you'll find this exceptionally, <laughs> exceptionally interesting, the fact that we're actually interested in you and your life. <laughs> now, Margaret, obviously I was talking to you when the music was going on and I did that on purpose to distract you. Did you recognise the artist? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who was it? That was Margaret Roadnight. Your namesake. Ah. You'd remember Margaret. You'd be yeah. the same vintage, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what year were you born? I was born in 1944, so I was a wartime baby. Uh, my father wasn't in the army. He was he was working out at Maribyrnong because mm. he was a tradie. He, yeah. They were producing the armaments at right. Maribyrnong, so right. he had a miserable war. And um, oh, was it a miserable war? Oh, I think I think um, he would have liked a bit more adventure. I think it was a bit 
just sitting well, out there. Well, the trouble is if he had a bit more adventure, you may not have yeah. been here. But I think when he heard the story afterwards, he was <laughs> yeah. probably glad he stayed yeah. at Maribyrnong. And I'm glad, I'm <laughs> glad he stayed at Maribyrnong because there's a great possibility that you would never have been here. You're not wrong. <laughs> you know, because over 25,000 Australian yes. men and women right. died in that war. Yeah. Over 25,000. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and a lot of Australians knew nothing about it yes. because it was all hush-hush what happened up in Darwin and Broome yeah. and... Yeah. To Torres Strait in North yeah. Queensland. But that's not today's yeah. story to you. So yeah. 44. Yeah. So what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? What I remember was walking with my mother down the main street and we had a tram track. Mm-hmm. And, and there were lots of seats each block for the tram, but the tram didn't stop. So I was asking my mother, why do we have tram stops where the tram doesn't stop? And she said, oh, that's before the war. So I thought, oh, so what's the war done to the tram stops? And and I was always puzzled as a little child why the war stopped the tram stopping. And that was my first memory was, first was memory. that. And how old do you think you were? I reckon I was probably about three. Three. Do you yes. have any recollections yeah. about what life was like in the late 40s and early 50s? Oh, yes, because because my father was good at getting the army disposals. So we had a an army tent, mm. we had army stretchers, we had the, the those grey army blankets with the stripe down the middle of them, mm. we had primary stove, and we used to go camping. And 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 then my father built a caravan himself. He built uh-huh. it for us. It's a, it by modern standards was about half the size of a present one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we used to go all over Victoria camping, and and I loved it. I always loved the camping, mm-hmm. and uh, we went all down Gippsland. And in those days, the the we had an old Nash Rambler, which was one of those cars where you've got the perspex windows and you've got um, the, 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 the platform for stepping on to get into the car and and the driver steered the car mm. um, but the you had to wind the handle out the front yep. to wind up the engine and you had to make sure there was water in the radiator right. and, and off we chugged. Yeah. And then my mother had this story of, one day they were down near um, Western Port Bay down there, Waratah Bay, and and there was a piece of tin on the road. And so my father couldn't stall the car, so he's he's got the engine going and mum has to get out to move the piece of tin <laughs> so it didn't tear the tyres. There was a tiger snake underneath the tin. tin. <laughs> so, so I think it gave me a lifelong kind of um, phobia about yeah, snakes. Yeah. And, my there poor was, mother. and there was yeah. no anti-venine in those days. No. You got bitten, you died. Not down Waratah Bay. Then. No, well, it wasn't anywhere in those days. It hadn't yeah, been invented. Yeah, and so, my mother was a farmer. You know, I'm, uh, we're the first generation not to be horse riders. Oh, my mother, like, yes. my, my aunties, yeah. my grandma, everybody yeah. rode horses. Both grandmas rode horses. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother was on a... On a, um, she grew up on a, um, a dairy farm at mm. Clayton, very near Monash Uni. Right. And they used to ride the horses from the farm at Clayton to Clayton Station mm. um, and change into their ball gears and right. get on the train and come in the city so for the dances. dances. Yes. And then go home and ride the horses back home again. Okay. Yeah. And that was Clayton. You know, it's amazing um, yes. now yes. to yes. see. Yes. I've interviewed people and they've talked about when they moved to the new suburbs at Blackburn and they had to. You know, travel yeah. through the mud up to their knees because yeah. all the orchards had been cut down. Yeah. So 
Let's give your parents and grandparents their dues. What was your father's name? What's your mother's name and your grandparents' names? My father's name was Jack. He was actually John Michael. And because he hated Jack so much, none of us children were allowed to have nicknames. Mm Mm-hmm. He insisted that the full Christian name was to be given, you know, the first name. name. Yes. And so 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 Jack wasn't happy with Jack. But <laughs> but, but my mum was Patricia. Right. And my mum was beautiful. She was kind to everybody and and just a very gracious lady. And mm. her mother was the same. Her mother, this beautiful grandma we had, you'd go up to her house and it was peaceful and and we'd get up in the morning and go down with Grandma to the shop and get the bread and the milk and come back, and everything was very orderly. She had an orchard, and she had lots of, um, you know, plum and apricot and, and berry mm. fruits, and we had a chicken yard where we'd go and get the eggs for mm. her and um, and a lot of vegetables. And uh, wow. and she was just uh, – she'd let us play games in the house yes. and all that. She was very lovely, my mm. grandma. I, mm. I'm very fond of her. She she, did, I she was did, named she after did. her. And oh, I was, that's good. I she didn't I actually was, have yeah. plastic yeah. over the sofa, did she? Plastic over the sofa. In our house, because we, we, <laughs> we finished up having a lot of kids. There was yes. nine in our family. Nine. So nine, nine – what, 11 of you went camping? Oh no no! That that all stopped when we got to we we, we got we had four and we could yeah. go camping with four. But then yes. Mum had twins. Yes. yes, that was the end of camping and caravanning and all that stuff. Yeah, right. and, twins in yeah. those days and very hard work for your mum. It was hard work, you Mom know. Um, yeah. Her mother used to help her, but but it was. Uh, you know, I look back at the, the photos of my mum. Mm. You know, in those years, you had to pay for doctors. Yes, there was that's no, right. There was no free medicine. That's right. And and the mothers were kind. Of battling to find the money post-war anyway to buy mm. the home and all those things, yeah. and I don't think they visited the doctor very often. And when no. I look at her picture, she was so pale after those twins. Yes, and Should and, have been anemic uh, and run yeah, I, down. I think I think yeah. the women had, and I have no, um, uh, I can see exactly why there was a reaction with the following generation yes. because it, it, the women were in serfdom. Mm. You couldn't say it any other way. No. They had no money of their own. Um, the women would be in the same overcoat, you know, for the yeah. year after year, and uh, you know, uh, the cheap permed uh, hair no, and the, no contraception availability of anything no, no. like that. So because you had Menzies saying populate or perish. perish yes, uh, they had the churches saying build them up, you know, yeah, and yeah. there was nobody to support a kind yeah, of a prudent yeah, way of looking yeah. at life. You yeah, know, yeah. yeah. You remind me of a picture yeah. I was looking at of my mother a few days ago, and she must have been what. Twenty-five. Yeah. Three children under five. Yeah. She looked haggard, tired, yeah. pale, and I think yeah. it was a common experience for yeah. most women in yeah. the early fifties, late fifties, and early sixties before that's, things begin began. That's to change. exactly right. Because my dad, after the war, he worked with the housing commission, mm. and you know when they were developing the big estates in Braybrook and yeah. and Holmes Glen and those places, he was very involved with that because he did plumbing design. And and but then he decided he wanted to go into business on his own. And when he had the six children, he knew he had to branch out. So he started his own business. Mm-hmm. And what happened then was they had the credit squeeze. So immediately there was a problem about 
men being out of work and Mm -hmm. and work being very limited. And my dad would go all over the country working. So he did the hospital up in Sea Lake. He did work in Mansfield. Mm. He, you know, he went all over the place with his men, just keeping the guys in work and trying to keep things going. So nobody, it was hard on everybody. It was just a hard time. Yeah. 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 Where did your um, father's family originate from? Ah, my 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 dad's father came directly from Ireland. From Ireland, oh, yeah, he was from Ireland. Explains all the kids, doesn't it? Yeah, he came out and he was a train driver here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my my granddad. Yeah, <laughs> and he was a gregarious kind of guy. He, yeah. he he's. I remember his Irish friends coming around to our place and and they would have mouth organs yes. and they'd be talking yes. in Gaelic and yes. they would be singing and you know yeah. he, he, he was yeah he was he was. He, do, you re- he, do you remember any Gaelic? Yeah, he, he taught me the he taught me praise in Gaelic. Can you can you? Oh, I don't speak Gaelic. Oh no, 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 no just a word, just a word. Come on, Margaret, just gone. one word. <laughs> all gone. I all gone. Know, That's I, not. Is that Gaelic? All gone. I only know my own my own name. Margaret in Gaelic yes. is Marid. Marid. And I like it. It's very I nice. I like it Marid. better than Margaret. I yeah. agree. It's very yeah, nice. Marid. Marid. It's a beautiful yeah. name. Yeah. And um, but that's all I know. But I remember him. He 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 was. Uh, uh, you know, he was a bit fond of the, of the of bottle too. Yes, you know, yeah, like yeah. the guys because they were homesick. Yeah, they were yeah, homesick. Yeah. And um, and I, I look back now and I think, you know, for him to come out from from Ireland, from Dublin, to come out to Melbourne in those years, very very difficult. Mm. You know, the only place they had where they could be Irish again was in the pubs. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It was, yeah. I think yeah. if you go down, I think it's King Street, I could be wrong, you can actually see what was called the Orange Lodge. Yep. And the first riot that occurred in Melbourne in 1942 mm. was a riot between the loyal Irishmen from the Orange Lodge and the Green Men, who yeah. were the, the, you know, the Irish rebels, and it, I did a bit of research on that particular at, riot at the Celtic Club. That's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not eighteen forty-one. This was before the Celtic yeah. Club. In the very early stages, there was yeah. this huge yeah. problems. Yeah. Now, getting back to you, mm. so education-wise, education-wise, I um, I remember um, my sister going to school was a year older than me. Mm. And being so disappointed that I couldn't go too. So I remember, I still have this vivid memory of standing at the front gate and watching her going up, mumsing across the road to go to school, because school was just up the road. And I so wanted to go. I so wanted to go to school. So I was allowed to start at four and a half years mm. um, to start school. Yeah, well. <laughs> and, and yeah, and love school. I, I yeah, love well, school. Yeah, I'm, yeah. A, yeah, I'm a bit, bit concerned about you because yeah. you had an inquiry mind, you know, when you're uh, three. Yeah. Those tram stops, and now you want to go to school at four thirty. Mum used to at four and a half. Yeah. I mean four thirty. But you know, in those years, all you had was the static radio to listen. That's to. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the static yeah. radio. And Mum would take me down the library and get some little kids' books and things like that. Ah. But but I, I found it was boring. Home was boring. I want to go to school. Yeah, hmm. and so we started off, and then of course, when you start school, you want to come home again. Yeah. And <laughs> so how many, how many of you kids topped and tailed in one room? 
in one, you mean in... Yeah, uh, in your house, when you were growing up. You wouldn't have had your own room, obviously. You would have been... Oh, no, no, no. No, no. how many of you were there in the room? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Top and tail, we called it. Well, my, we started off in a rental house over the road and then my dad had his eye on this big house opposite that he mm. wanted to buy, so yeah. he bought it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we had a house that had... You wouldn't believe it, but there was a fireplace in every main room. You no, know, I would so we had fireplaces it, yeah. in the bedroom, we had fireplaces mm-hmm. in the lounge room, and we had a wood stove in the kitchen and all of that. So the first thing we had to do was block off all those stoves, and um, and uh, and we all painted. We we loved it. We painted the house up how we wanted it because in those years you didn't have color. It was calcimine walls mm. and black stained. Skirting boards. You're probably too yeah. young for that. Oh, you? yeah. I'm only 70. Yeah. I'm a septuagenarian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was the absence of colour. And all of a sudden, when the colour paints came in, mm. people it's went heaven. crazy, you yeah. know. Yeah. We had we got sample paints and we painted every kitchen cupboard a different colour. Mm. So when you walked into our kitchen, every 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 door was different colour to the other one. And we loved it, you know. It was yeah. colour. Yeah. How, how many in the room? Come on, tell us. How many in your... Did you grow up with how many kids in the oh, room? Well, um, the nine of us. So what had, in one room? Oh no 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 right. no, 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 no. So we had the girls' room mm-hmm. where the beds were lined up, and then we all sat and did our homework at the at the end. So of how the, many the, how many girls were there? There were there were um, four girls and well, we got that right. One, two, three. Yeah, four girls and five boys. So four girls in one room. Yeah, four girls in one room. Right. And then the boys had they they when they were little, mm. they they had the three little boys in one double bed. Right. And I used to go in and read them stories at night time. Mm-hmm. And I go in one night and there's there's an extra head, there's four <laughs> heads in the bed. Because the dog was in with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it must have been a one dog night, as they say. Yeah, it's a bit cold in winter. It's always good That's to right, have a the dog. dog. <laughs> yeah, I love that old Australian saying. It's a four dog night. You know, yeah, yeah. these youngsters wouldn't know what we're talking about. That's right. The little kids loved him. So, yeah. so he, he was in the in the bed with them. Uh, <laughs> like a, now, well, where you went to? Where did you go to primary school? I went to primary school at a uh, school that's now closed. It was called Holy Cross Primary. So we were Catholic. So yes. we went up to the local primary school, mm. and it was a small school. Yeah. And it's since closed down. It's now become the. Let me think. The Japanese, I think, own it now. Right. I think, um, and 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 we would just walk up the road, so we could come home for lunch. Oh, you know, we come home for lunch, lunch yeah. come home after school, and and we had friends, and um, and the first time I got into trouble was because my dear friend, you um, you got into trouble, Margaret. Yeah, I cannot I, believe this. Oh, because because I was only a kid, but she said to me to come home to her place because she had a new game. Oh, so so I went home to her place to play the new game mm-hmm. and her mother gave us a lovely afternoon tea and she said, does your mother know you're here? And I said, oh, my mother doesn't mind me coming. <laughs> In your best Irish accent there. Oh, there's trouble when I got home about my mother doesn't mind me wandering all over the town. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, I did forget to ask, where were you living? What town? 
Uh, Caulfield. Uh, in Caulfield. Yeah, Caulfield. Oh, the wilds of Caulfield. The wilds of Caulfield. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So then I went to secondary school to uh, Star of the Sea College in Garden yeah. Vale. Obviously, everybody goes to Star of the, the sea, sea at Garden Vale. Caulfield. I know Star of the Sea, Garden Vale. And it's kind of like, yeah. you know, how you have you have um, BC and AD, yeah. uh, and, and now we have before Jermaine Greer and after Jermaine Greer. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was just after Jermaine, Jermaine Greer. Greer. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Just after. Just after. But they, they were wonderful. It was a wonderful college because it was very into the development of women. Even in those early years, that, mm. was, that was the late 50s. They were well ahead of their time. So I went through doing the sciences, the maths, all of that. And, um, and, and I remember an interview in year 12 because I had wanted to be a nurse since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. bandaging dolls, doing the whole lot. And I was, and I was determined to be a nurse. And the interview went... Why would you waste a full secondary education on nursing? <laughs> <laughs> and what did you say? They wanted them all to go to uni. Yeah. You know, this really, they really wanted that. And, um, and, and I said, because I love nursing mm. and I really want to do nursing. So mm. I, I had to work for a bit because I was too young to start nursing. But I, I went to the Mercy Hospital. I was going to start there. Right. And then an extraordinary thing happened. What happened was... Um, the second interview I had there was with a woman called Philippa Brazil, who was the mother superior at the Mercy Hospital in East Melbourne. Mm-hmm. She was a, uh, came out from Ireland as a very young woman. By the time she died, she, had, she was a dame of the British Empire. She mm-hmm. had an honorary doctor of laws from Melbourne University. She was the most remarkable woman. Mm-hmm. And when I met her, she idealised... For me as a teenager, what I wanted in life and which was to make a contribution to the Australian community and to to work in public life. That's really what I wanted was um, I, I knew I didn't want to just get married like my mum and have mm-hmm. kids. That right. wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, and and she she showed me. Uh, because she was the confidant of that stage, Prime Ministers, Governor-Generals, whoever, they all came into the mercy. She knew them all, and she was not overawed by any of them. Right. And But she was respectful of all of them. And, and the confidentiality there in those years was absolutely premium. They, no one ever knew they were in the hospital. Mm. And But she she showed me how how to be like that in public life. So what, um, she, she took a shine to you. Did she see something in you that, she, that she was in her? She, she must have. She must have. She must have. I'm sure she wouldn't have treated all the trainee nurses in the same way. Yes. So she, she said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do nursing. Mm. And then, and I said, I want to do midwifery after that. And after that, I said, I want to do nurse educator because I want to teach nurses. Mm-hmm. And she said, she said, very well, but what after that? And I said I had tossed with the idea of becoming a woman religious in the church, mm-hmm. um, but I had been put off it a bit because I I kind of wanted more freedom than that, you know. Mm-hmm. And and she said, oh, I think you might have things the wrong way around, you know. And she got talking. And anyway, I finished up going out to the Sisters of Mercy Novitiate. Right. Went through there for three years, and and could that you explain? Was like, could you explain to our listeners what yeah, that exactly what, that means. What, what that means? Because it's 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 
They're words that have disappeared from That's the right. Australian lexicon. So what does it mean? What's it mean? What's it mean is you, you walk out there with a suitcase and you put your suitcase down and you put on the uniform. What, what, what? Tell us about the uniform. Yes. Uh, we wore a almost like a tunic in the beginning, a mm. tunic like a school tunic almost. And you got up at 5 o'clock in the morning mm. and you had your day lined out completely. So it was the most disciplined kind of life that a young person could get into. And... And every hour of the day was organised into something. So it was balanced. You had maybe an hour for recreation, maybe you played tennis, maybe you did this, maybe you did that. And it was all interspersed with prayer. So mm-hmm. it was giving people a real sense of meditation and reflective thought as a very young person, but also interspersed with with a real discipline about, about um, action and being part of a team. You did this for three years? Yeah, for three years. So what happens after three years? Well, in that three years, I was also out teaching uh, grade threes. Right. As part of, supervised by mm-hmm. a registered teacher, by mm-hmm. teaching grade threes. After that, I, I went to the Mercy Hospital. No, no, hang on, hang on. Yeah. There must be a ceremony after the three years. Oh, yeah, yes. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah. Okay. At um, uh, You get up one morning. And there's a ceremony. Uh, first of all, you have a reception ceremony, which is which is the, the, the order decides, yes, you're a candidate that they could accept, and they have a formal ceremony. And I've got to tell you that because it's a very funny story. But <laughs> but you dress up as a bride in those years. Yes, so, bride of, so you're a bride of Christ. So if you get the picture, there were 21 of us. Yes. <clears throat> so there's 21 brides on the bus. Yes. We're going from Rosanna into St. Patrick's Cathedral. Yes. And the people in Ivanhoe just about <laughs> drop their shopping. <laughs> 21 brides. This remarkable <laughs> apparition coming down the street. They were wondering. And, and I remember one of the Jesuits. I wonder what harem you're going to. 21 brides. And I remember one of the Jesuits up the road saying, if you'd only let us know, we would have sent a busload of 21 guys behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, can I tell you a funny story yeah. about the Brides of Christ? Because you'd go to church, wouldn't you? And yeah. there'd be all the family and yeah. friends there, you yeah. know, to see this, was it whatever it was called, you know, this induction, let's call it an induction. I must have been five or six, and I don't know why my parents dragged me to one of these inductions because, you know, they were Catholic too. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't fair. Why does Christ get 21 brides? I was six, and everybody else gets one. <laughs> I think that's where I started going off the religious angle, to be honest. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because in those years, everybody went. You know, the churches yeah, were, yeah. no matter what, what group mm. you belonged to, mm. um, there was sort of, it was Sunday, mm. was mm. no work, and everybody went off because there was nothing else to do. You know? no, there's nothing yeah. else to do. You the whole know. town was closed down. Exactly. Yeah, there wasn't it was. a, a restaurant or a pub or anything open. No, nothing, yeah. nothing. Just and, a sly grog shop. That's about yeah, it. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I remember had friends who were over in Idea, and they had been migrants up in Bonagilla you know, oh, yes. in, in the post-war years. Yes. And uh, one fellow told me he'd come out from Italy, and he was desperately lonely. At Bonagilla, so he decided he'd walk into Albury for the Easter festivities. You know, <laughs> all the procession and the yes, fun and the yes, Easter yes, party and all yes. that. He was going to come in, so he walked all the way in from Bonagilla yeah. into Albury to join the Easter parade. <laughs> <laughs> and 
the town was closed. Dosed, yeah. <laughs> but where have I gone? What have I gotten myself into? He said, uh, he said I couldn't believe this could be such a dead place. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Sunday's changed so now. You, you, got, you got your... What do you get? You get a hat or something? I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so, so you're you're a young thing, and yeah. and we come out of the cathedral in this starchy stuff. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Where you think I'll yeah. never eat another meal because yeah. my mouth yeah. won't move, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and so that was kind of you know you had this this kind of old habit on, and and I thought this is weird, but anyway, we we go with it and. Um, <laughs> And I thought, I'll be so embarrassed walking around the town in this gear, you know. And and I remember I'm on a bus one day and I'm sitting down the back of the bus in this gear and this kid's up the front with mum and um, and I hear this big voice saying, Mum, Mum, does she sleep in it? <laughs> can, I, can I tell you a kid's yeah. joke? I'm sure you've heard this one before. What's uh, black and white? What's black and white on the inside, yellow on the Outside and screams. I don't know. A yellow cab full of nuns going over a cliff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of kids' jokes we had yeah. because you know the nuns would be teaching yeah. us. And, yeah, 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 yeah. There's lots of there's lots of crazy penguin jokes too. We yeah, yeah. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep community strong. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03-9419-8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, keep Keep community community strong. strong. So, so then you went into teaching after you. Uh, no, no, I went went to the hospital, went nursing, yeah. mm-hmm. and I lasted. Uh, I stayed about eight years at the hospital, right. and um, you became a midwife. Uh, yes, I became midwife, and I did coronary care, intensive care, theatre, all those oh, things, works, you know. Yeah. And then what happened to me was uh, somebody pointed out that I seemed to have lost hearing a bit. Mm-hmm. So, so I had it checked out, and sure enough, I, I my hearing wasn't quite what it should have been. Um, and so I had surgery for a stapedectomy, which right. failed. Failed. Mm. So I was in a worse predicament than I had been before. Oh. So, and then we had a repeat surgery twelve months later. It still wasn't working. So, so I thought to myself, you, you, you have to take responsibility for what's going on here. You don't wait till somebody tells you you don't fit in. You know. So, mm. so I thought I always wanted to do work with mothers in families anyway. Right. That was really what I wanted to do. So. Mm. I, I went out um, with a discussion with, with the people in administration there and went and did community nursing and went to Brodie. Ah, in the good old days. In the good old days when Brodie yeah. boys were feared. Not yeah. today when they're all... Yeah, the Justin cares. Avenue gang and all them, and yeah. they're very good to us. us yes, They're yes. very good to us. Because you looked after their mums. Yeah. That's yeah, they're very good yeah, to look us. Look after their mums, and, and they, uh, they respected and, that. Yeah, mm. and I learnt I learnt a lot because what I learnt from from doing those, I, I did two years at Broadley before I went to New Guinea. But what I learnt there was, in in the hospital, you you are 
kind of in, in a sense in charge and you're leading and you, you can say the rules and whatever. But when you go out into community, you're a guest in people's houses. It's entirely different. That's and right. you also have to pick up the current of the community mm. and, and get a sense of what the community wants. Mm. And, and I loved learning that. I, I loved the sense of, of the dialogue. Mm. Between people about health or whatever else, well, yeah, yeah. and I also learned. Yeah, you know, we, we started. Um, I remember we had some mad ideas because I, I we started a slimmers group. Right. <laughs> we had all these women coming yeah. in. We're going to teach them healthy food. And all this, oh yeah, you know. and we forgot they can't afford the healthy food. That's right. And, and when I when I was leaving because I was going to New Guinea, they said, "Oh, we're putting on a party for you." Yes. And and I'll, the party there were cream puffs, puffs and yeah. cakes and sponges and <laughs> meat pies and sausage rolls. Forget it. But I love Brody. I really love yeah. the people and, yeah. and, you know, a wonderful team there. We mm-hmm. had a really great time. Right. And it was the, the Whitlam era when there yes. was funding for community, community health. Yes. And, That's right. And it was yeah. so good. It was wonderful. But, yeah. then, uh, but then I had always – I'd met Mother Teresa earlier, you know, the mm. Indian yes. Mother yes. Teresa. Mm. And um, because I, I was in the 1970s into meeting famous people, you right. know what you like when you're younger? Yes. <laughs> meeting famous people. So, mm. I, th- so I, I rang when Mother Teresa came to Melbourne, rang mm. and said, can I have an interview with her? Oh, yes, you can come. This mm. afternoon, come. So I go down and I yeah. met my Mother Teresa, and I still remember it as being a very remarkable uh, interview because yes. I, I was tossing up about Australia being wealthy and and maybe we should be helping the poor more in other countries. And uh, Teresa's response was, you can come to India, but India will do more for you than you can do for India. Right, yes. Isn't that interesting? That is fascinating, exactly. Teresa's response. Yeah, she she understood that. Yes. The other thing she taught me was... um, she said, um, I said to her about the church looking after people who are wealthy, is that acceptable, you know, in her mm. mind? Mm. And she said, she said, it is always acceptable to look after people, whatever their backgrounds, whoever mm. they are, mm. whatever their status in society or whatever else. Mm. She said, but you must teach the rich to care for the poor. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Just yes, something, yeah. She forgot, yeah. she forgot her Bible, but yeah, yeah. the rich going through the eye of a needle. Yeah, yeah, she forgot that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and the third thing she told me yes. was, she told me that when people refuse you mm. something when you want it, if you're like if you're appealing for funding for yes. something, mm. if people refuse you, always be more gracious to those who refuse than those who give, mm. because the ones who refuse would give if they could. Yes, that makes sense. Th- isn't that amazing? Well, it's the same yeah. concept we have here at 3CR during the Radiothon, which yeah. is we started next week, and where we yeah. try to raise money to keep the station on air. And, it, yeah. uh, and I say to people, it doesn't matter what you give. A, a, a $5 donation from somebody on a Social Security benefit equals a $100 million donation from a Lindsay Fox who gets his name on a, in yeah. a, on, a on the National Gallery, a public institution. Yeah. The same. yeah. So what was New Guinea like? Ah. Oh. Ah, oh. <laughs> oh. oh. that was the best time of my life. Tell us about I it. How many years were you there? Only three years oh, because right. something happened. So I'll tell you about what happened. But but I went up there. What happened was because it had been on the um, my institute's record that I wanted to go with Mother Teresa to India, and I mm. never got there because of visa problems. Right. But but you they might, had that well, on. Well, were you some type of? Uh, 
left-wing yeah. radical that you, you had visa problems going to India. What's going on here? Yeah, that's right. What's going on here, Margaret? Come you, on, tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about the visa problem later on. Yes. But anyway, what, what happened was um, the bishop up in uh, Itape on the um, West Sea Pig, mm. as it calls, now it's called Sundan Province, um, he, uh, they had a problem when independence happened in 1975 that all of a sudden a lot of expatriates left Papua New Guinea because no longer was there an overseas government paying wages for them yes. and a lot of people couldn't accept the indigenous rate. So, so all of a sudden the place emptied out and, and he rang down to Australia to our group because the Mercy Sisters had hospitals across the eastern coast of Australia. He said, can you please send me some nurses quickly? Mm. That we've got no staffing for the hospital much at all. And so I'm reading the paper one, it would have been the old Herald, you know, one Friday night, and the phone rings and um, the call's from the boss and she says, um, uh, you know, years ago you want to go to India. Um, there's a request now for someone to go to Papua New Guinea. I want a couple of nurses up there. Would you go? Mm. And I said, oh, she said, look, you can think about it overnight. Let me know in the morning. And <laughs> <laughs> that's how it happened. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I thought about it and I thought, well, why not? Why you know? not? Why that, not? Why you know, not? here's an opportunity. Yeah, so yeah. so I, I vis- had an appointment with her in the morning. I said, yes, I, I will go. Mm. And she said, yes, well, um, the plane ticket is for in four weeks' time. So I just had time to put in a resignation from Brody mm-hmm. and, and then get a suitcase together. I had no idea what I was walking into, mm. and um, my background being coronary care, intensive yes. care, yes. all that yes. stuff, yeah. all of a sudden... Irrelevant, was, irrelevant. Irrelevant, yes, totally, right. totally, yeah. utterly irrelevant, irrelevant. Yeah. that's right. <laughs> and and we're on a plane and up there, yeah. and, and I remember landing in Moresby and going down to the Moresby Hospital and being shocked out of my brain, mm. and then going up to Hagen Hospital after that, 1975, and... And just seeing things that um, a dead baby in a crib, you know, and and a mother bleeding from a, a Caesar, and uh, mm. just stuff that the it, it. And then when I went to ITP, at least that place was missionary run, clean and tidy, and but poor as they come, yeah. you know, mm. and and uh, there was just so much to do. There was a hundred bed hospital, and we had twenty outposts. Now, Margaret, I'm going to do something I don't do often. Now, you've got an extraordinary tale to tell us. We've only got 15 minutes, so I'm going to offer you a second interview because I don't want to rush through your life because you've got a lot to offer. And at the end of the the chat, I'm sure Kelly will pencil you in. So you don't have to rush. But in the last five minutes, we'll talk about what you're doing now. what I'd like to do now. Now, yeah. So keep telling us because I think a lot of people... Well, it links into New Guinea. Now let's let's go back to New Guinea yeah. because we'll just yeah. we'll go through things slowly because yeah. we'll have another hour in a few weeks or a few months' yeah. time. Yeah. All right. So what? Yeah. So you went to this hospital and what? Yeah. What did you do? So so I was the nurse in charge mm-hmm. and also the the educator for the for the Papua New Guineans and and. Um, what I did was looked at the situation where the staffing there were mainly female nurses. As I recall, I don't think there was any male nurses. And um, and the first thing I thought is I need to go up to the high school and say, we need to change this. 
so I went up and spoke to the senior nurses that year, uh, senior students, mm. with the permission of the, the, the principal, and just said, can I put it to you that, that in nursing, uh, that men have a role as much as the women, and I want some of you to come down and start training as, at that stage, nurse aides, and then we intended to move the best of them on to training mm. as registered mm. nurses. And they came. So we had a lovely group of young men as well as the women. So it was mm. a mixed class. Right. I, had, I had nothing to teach them with except a board and a piece of chalk. Right. So, well, um, you had all your knowledge. And I had one textbook, mine. Uh, yeah, but your textbook. Yeah. Tell us about it. You, you wrote your own textbook. No, no, I just had one that was given to me, a printed one. But oh, right. <laughs> no, nothing else. Nothing, nothing. else. Yeah. So but I, you, had, you had knowledge and you yeah. knew about people and you knew how to interact and yeah. you, your time at Broadmeadows and your yeah. time, yeah. you know, well, with this the discipline. Here. So yeah. then I sent down to my mates at the Mercy Hospitals mm. and, and they were wonderful in Melbourne and said, please, can you send me up a skeleton and a torso so mm. that I have something to teach them with? Mm. Oh, yeah, no trouble. So they send up the torso and the, and the skeleton. Well, apparently it got to customs in WeeWAC mm. and the guys look at the, the ticket and it's a skeleton in a box. Yes. And there's no way. No way. <laughs> They're going no. to check that out. No. no. So, <laughs> so weeks go by and I get no skeleton. So I rang them up and they said, have you got a box for me for the matron, your sister matron for the Rahu Hospital? Yes, yes, we got. Can I have it, please? Oh, no, no. Customs must check. Well, why can't customs check? Um, because because nobody to look in the box. <laughs> can I come up and check? Oh, yes, you can come and look in the box. Okay, so so I crossed sixty rivers to get up. To <laughs> sixty <Waterway>. rivers. <laughs> what on rafts? Yeah. <laughs> I go to customs and say, "Can I look? Yeah, yeah, you can look. <laughs> it's only plastic, you know. It's only plastic skeleton, not real one. <laughs> <laughs> you lied, didn't you? So anyway, so, you lied to them. Yeah, it was no, it was also plastic. Really? Yeah, it was plastic oh, skeleton. Yeah, the they just use them all the time. Yeah, well, the skeleton yeah, I the, used. They look real, you know. No, but the skeleton I used as, so a, as I, a medical student. I used a skeleton. I had my little friend. And oh, yeah. it was real. Oh right! They used, oh, no, they used no, to really. import them. They used to import them from India. <laughs> yeah. Real human beings. Yeah, yeah. Well, I took. And you my, got plastic. You're I lucky. took my skeleton back and I hung it up in the classroom. Yes. And we had we had windows that opened out. Yes. And you know, the next morning, there was a crowd. <laughs> At every window, looking into the skeleton hanging up in the room, there's yeah. crowds of them came. They must have thought you were some type of evil person. <laughs> so I had to explain it wasn't real. And then, and then the, the, the male students got onto it. So it was decorated with a uh, – it, it had a, a feather in its hair and it had the, they had the arms going the other way and they all decorated up. But, but, but it was just trying to make that transition. Now, look, I just want to ask you a question. I mean – we we sanitise death in our society. You know, it's a it's a morning you know ritual, oh, yeah. and in two or three hours, it's all over. Yeah. Did you learn much about because death would be a common companion in oh, yes. Papua New Guinea in those days? Yes. How 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 you dealt with it and the people around you and the families and friends. You know, you know, we had we were going round the clock. We we're getting up in the night and doing that, and and the bishop got concerned because these Australians who've come up have no idea what they're doing and they're trying to save everybody. And so he sent, he, he sent down a um, beaten-up old missionary from Africa to stay with us. 
And she was watching us for a few days and she just said to me one day, she said, you're the leader here. She said, I want to say something to you. She said, it may seem very harsh and very cruel, but we have this saying in Africa, do your best and bury the rest. And she said, you have to learn that you can't save them all, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very sad. And But if you're going to survive here, you have to be able to accept that, yes. that you just do what you can and don't beat yourself over the head about the ones that you can't save. Right. And so it set us, I think, firmly thinking through the priorities then, saying stop the mad rush, think through the priorities for yourself. And what became very clear to me was my role was not so much the existing situation as how I could ready the Papua New Guineans for what they needed to do. And and that became my focus. Um, the contribution that I would make to New Guinea would be to train up as best I could another generation coming on who would gradually bring that death rate down. And that's what's happened. In the intervening years since the child mortality rate has fallen quite dramatically in New Guinea. What has not changed is the maternal rate. Mm. There's still women dying in childbirth at the same rate as when I was there. And it's something like one in 120 women per year, where Australia is the seventh best place in the world to have a baby uh, behind the Scandinavian countries and New Zealand. Mm. And Papua New Guinea is 146th out of 167, I think it is. Yes. And and they're just 100 kilometres away from us. Yes. You know? Mm. And to me, that's the greatest tragedy. Uh, in my first visit back there recently, 2014, I was trailed around by a motherless young girl. Mm. And it... it awaken me because you imagine that in the interim between when I was there as a young person and going back now that things have moved on dramatically and that is true but it's uneven mm. and and to to see that there are still children growing up the most precious thing you can have is your mother your mm. biological mother you know and to see these children growing up in such numbers motherless but adopted by other their one tooks You know, they will be looked after, they will be fed. What they don't have is their mother, you know. And and for me, that is a great sadness, which is what's precipitated me back, is to come back and say, well, I'm not longer in health care, but what I can do is in some of those villages is do something to help those women be better fed and to have clean water and food in those villages. Because in 2016, after I went back 2014, when I went back 2016, they just had a, on the south side facing Australia, they had a very severe drought. Mm-hmm. And when they have a drought, they have famine because all the vegetables all die. They've, they've, yeah, yeah. And I, think, I think a lot of people have forgotten that New Zealand is basically a subsistence economy. That's and right. if you don't grow, That's you don't right. eat. So we talk about the climate crisis, mm. but we don't register what the climate crisis means to these countries. What mm. it actually means is starvation, is no water, you know, is those things. So World Health had to come in, WHO, with bags of rice, tin, bottled water, all that stuff. Um, we, we don't get it 
in that sense here in Australia. No, no. Yeah. And, and people but, forget that yeah. Saibai Island, the northern part of Australia, is three kilometres from yeah. Papua New Guinea. Three right. kilometres. And That's people right. come across all the time in little yeah. dugouts to get care. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I used to know one of the nurses who was at, yeah. stationed at Saibai Island, and That's that was right. their big That's thing. Right. Not uh, my auntie, who, who was a missionary. She yes. was the old-fashioned missionary yeah. over in Kiribati for all oh, her yes. life. All her life, Went over yeah. in 1952 and, and died over there. Yeah. Yeah. And she chose to die there. Yes. But she said to us, she had a very droll sense of humour. She said, I'm going to be buried on Kiribati, but not for long. It'll be floating. <laughs> It'll be floating away. That's right, because the <laughs> climate emergency. I like yeah, that, yeah, a practical person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I want to say is, is I really want to say the we want to help in New Guinea, but what I want more than anything is to, is to build a dialogue here. Because, because a lot of Australians have an historical link to Papua New Guinea, either because their parents are up there, they're born up there, or um, the Kokoda track, and they've got relatives who are in the Second World War. What we don't have is a modern link to Papua mm. New Guinea. Mm. And, and when you talk to the average Australian, I say, I'm going up to New Guinea, the first thing they say is, isn't it dangerous? Right. And and that troubles me that that's the reaction of so many Australians now is isn't it dangerous? dangerous. Nothing. Mm. What a beautiful country we have up there, and people think like that. So what we're doing is starting a dialogue. I work over in North Carlton, mm-hmm. and we're having a series of three talks. Where um, the first talk is Monica Minigal, who's a doctor of um, associate professor at Melbourne Uni in anthropology, who spent thirty years in Papua New Guinea. Uh, on and off doing mm-hmm. research yes. in the western province yep. and she is talking on the impact of mining on those remote communities and not just the impact of mining but the impact of of contemporary um, the changes in their lives over that time and that is on june 3rd seven o'clock Marbo day yeah, 617 nicholson street north carlton so and all welcome free so, of charge so that's it uh Yep. Marbo Day, the 3rd of June. 3rd of June. Auspicious day. 7 o'clock. It. 7 yeah. o'clock. And what was it? 617 Nicholson Street, North Carlton. And you don't have to do one of these crazy apps. You just turn up, do you? Yeah, yeah. Or you can go on. You can do as a try booking if you like. The try booking, the title of the thing is Changing Social Relations mm. in Remote Papua New Guinea. Mm. And that's on first. And that we have a Papua New Guinea audience coming as well. Oh, so I've been in touch with the... Papua New Guinea One Tooks Association here in, in mm, Melbourne, mm. and they are sending four representatives to right. come and have a dialogue about what's going right. on. And I would love people to come. I really would. So we keep it very simple. So we're just having drinks and nibbles and an hour's chat about this. Mm. And then the second speaker in August is going to be uh, Hilda Wayne, who's an ABC journalist who's up in New Guinea at the moment. And she's going to come and talk. She's from Manus Island. And what we want to do is is to start setting up uh, a, a thinking person's approach to New Guinea in this second millennium. Yeah, yeah. And we are we are forever neighbours, nearest neighbours, nearer than New Zealand. We talk about the Pacific community and the sort of concern about the Solomons. Mm. The Solomons is six hundred thousand people, roughly, maybe a bit more, seven hundred thousand. It's two thousand kilometres away. Papua New Guinea is nine million, a hundred kilometres from us. No, no, it's three, three kilometres. 
Yeah, right. From okay. Sobo Island. People, I think it's an important fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three kilometres. West Papua, in their independence struggle, yeah, yeah. 67 kilometres That's from right. Australia. That's right. That's right. The, it's, we it's, say we own the Torres Strait Islands, you know. Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. Of, anyway. but, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Three kilometres. It's closer than Geelong yeah. to Melbourne. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, it's closer than Tasmania to us. Yeah. It's the closer. It's, it's closer than Caulfield, from Fitzroy to Caulfield, yeah, yeah. three <laughs> kilometres. So let's, let's not forget that. Yeah. yeah. So so we really want – and, you know, this area around here where 3CR is located, mm. it's, it's teeming with – Educated people That's who've right. travelled, who mm. who've got a lot to give. You know, Monica just walked into my office mm. uh, and offered hang to on, help. Hang on, hang on, hang yeah. on, hang on, here, Margaret. Yeah. Office. office. Tell us about your office. The office. You've got an office. <laughs> Tell us about it. It's a shop front at 617 Nicholson Street, and everybody's welcome to come. What do you mean? It's your office. What's going on? What's it called? It's called it's called it's called Mercy Hub, but my project is cook houses and tanks a lot. Slowly. Cook houses and tanks a lot. Oh, right. So it's a play on words that we're raising money for mm. cook houses, communal cook houses for the women mm. and water tanks. Right. And that's my primary job is to is to facilitate that up in New Guinea and we've got four of them built in the highlands of New Guinea. And we have one um, Papua New Guinea coordinator up there organising the skills training program in those four mm-hmm. centres. I thought that was my primary job, but the more I see of the, the situation here vis-à-vis Australia, Papua New Guinea, I realised that education here is equally as important. You know that, is, that I don't mean education. I, I mean friendship. I mean, friendship. Friendship. Not, nothing. That's nothing. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Flash. Nothing. We're not talking. Big no, stuff, you know. No, no. We're just talking. Let's Friendship. be friends. We've got we've it, got it, Skype. We've got FaceTime. We've got yeah, WhatsApp. We've yeah. got Zoom. We've got everything now. Mm. And even for me, I've got a program with Telstra that I get fifteen dollars a month. I got unlimited calls to New Guinea. You know, mm, it's mm. kind of yeah. You know, mm, mm, mm. yeah. We can we can we can be friends. We can know people personally. Yeah, and uh, and and it, it's really important. It's the same. It's the same issue here with uh, First Nations people. I mean, how many Australians, you know, non-First Nations, have ever, ever met a First Nations person? Yeah. It's the same with Papua New Guinea. Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. I mean, And we have so much to learn. You know, going yeah. back as an older person now, mm. I, I start to appreciate their ways of doing things. Mm. We have so much to learn from these traditional groups of people. Well, there you are. Mother Teresa's words are reverberated yeah, yeah. in your head. Yeah, but yeah. how they've conducted mm. their lives and mm. their community lives mm. and how they've mm. lived together mm. and sorted out their quarrels and worked out things, mm. so much to learn, mm. you know? Yeah. Now, in the last few yeah. minutes, because we're going we're gonna to stop at 75 yeah. and then we'll do from 75 to 2022 in the next interview, all right? Yeah. Your life's packed, too packed full of things to <laughs> do in one hour, all right? Now, the great thing about these interviews is their podcast. Yeah. And that means they're there forever and ever. And I tell the older people who walk in for an interview, you can use parts for your funeral. People can learn about you, the real you. You, What I'm amazed about you is your vitality and your first for life. How have you kept that considering Ah. all all the pain and suffering you've seen in your life? Yeah. 
I, I actually did, uh, we'll talk about that next time, but yes. I did 10 years for setting up palliative care here in Melbourne, mm. looking after dying people and bringing yes. people all the time. Mm. And so, yeah, it's a lot of it. I, I think for me, I, I'm blessed with very good health. I'm very lucky that I'm 78 years of age, no medications, no Excuse nothing. me, listener, yeah. she looks about 52. Yeah. All right. <laughs> very well. Very well. Glowing, not well, anemic. Walk every day, so I'm fit yeah. enough to go back to New Guinea. That's yeah. right, yeah. and 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 I think I've always made sure that I I have a sense of where I'm going, you know what it is. Because I said to you earlier, for me, my life is the the public arena of Australia. Um, I actually am an officer of the Order of Australia as well. Right. You know yes. that yes. that it, that that is qualified because. It was a team effort that right. got that. You know, yes. it wasn't me. We'll talk about that. Yeah, next we'll talk week. about that next time. Yeah. But but it's saying that that um, that that to, to be clear what what gets you up in the morning and and what you want to do, um, and and I've always loved people. I found lockdown very very difficult. Mm-hmm. Sitting home by myself, and what am I going to do? Read books, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, crazy! <laughs> I thought, oh. This is just unbearable. Oh, yeah. uh, the last lockdown was the hardest of all, yes. and and uh, it, it taught me that that for me, I, I am gifted by people meeting me every day and, and right. the interaction every day with folk. Mm. You know, mm. It, mm. it nourishes us. Mm. I, I might give something to other people, but boy, I get much more back from them. You know, you, you know what you know yeah. what you do, and I, I yeah. don't say this often to people. I don't think I've ever said this on this program, and I'm sure Kelly will pull yeah. me up if I have. Yeah. You, you radiate hope. Oh yes, and ho- hope is you know the love child of desire and expectation, the desire yeah. for change, and the expectation that will occur. You yeah. radiate it. When I speak to you. I can feel it. I can feel yeah. that. You know, a lot of people come in and they're miserable and they've got a miserable life, but you yeah. radiate that that hope. Yeah, thank you. Now, thank now you. Margaret, I'm going to leave the listeners in suspense about why they wouldn't let you into India <laughs> till next till the uh, next interview because I'm fascinated by that. I mean, even I was allowed into India, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we I, won't tell it. We won't tell it. I've we'll got a story it. to tell you next time about yeah. going to India without the visa in there. Whoa! <laughs> now, Margaret Ryan, it was a pleasure talking to you. We've only scratched the surface. And as I said, I don't invite people often to come back for a second bite of the cherry, but you've had an extraordinary life. It's not just the fact that you've had an extraordinary life. It's the fact that your life can give people hope that change is possible and is both desirable and yeah. possible. And I'd like to uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming to the studio. And I must thank Kelly Whitworth because Kelly does all the work in terms of bringing in the guests. Without her, I would never be the show pony I am. Yeah. Yeah, she's gorgeous. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Dr. Joe, and thank you, Kelly. You're really good. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to come in here. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, I was in 3CR years ago, yes. the early 1980s, so Ooh. congratulations on all these years yeah. where you've... Maybe that's when I met you. You looked ve- yeah. I, When I first saw you, I, I looked very familiar. Yeah. I, I tell you why I was in here in the 80s next time, but... Yeah. but, but 
but I remember coming in and the same the same thing, the same mm. Mm. interest in people and, yeah. oh. and in, in the ordinary community, not, not you know, not looking for celebrities, just the ordinary people. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah, You, you yeah, won't yeah. find more interesting people than the pe- the rabble at three C R. Thank you very much, Margaret. <laughs> We've got you. to wrap up Thank and we'll see you much. in a Thank few you. weeks Thanks or a month or two in the yeah. future and we'll finish this story. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.